Hello and welcome to the EG Property Podcast with me, EG Editor Sam McClary, and the latest recording in our Fundamentals of the Future series. EG's Fundamentals of the Future recordings focus on discussions in the real estate sector around ESG. In this episode, the first of four recorded live at EG Sustainable Outcomes Make Better Decisions event, Chief Executive of the Better Buildings Partnership, Sarah Ratcliffe, delivers a rousing, if not mildly depressing, keynote on real estate's journey through the lens of ESG. She looks at how far we've come and how much more is needed to be done. Now, this episode was recorded outside of EG's specialist podcast studio, so the audio quality may not be as silky smooth as you've come to expect. I can promise, however, that the quality of the content is out of this world. Enjoy. This ESG summit couldn't, could not be more timely. We've just concluded COP27. We've got a clear indication of what progress has been made and where we're collectively falling short in relation to the global climate crisis. In the latest UN Emissions Gap report, IPCC Working Group co-chair Jim Skier said, it's now or never, if we want to limit global warming to one and a half degrees Celsius, without immediate and deep emissions reductions across all sectors, it will be impossible. What the scientists have been telling us for decades is now playing out in real time. Globally this year, we've had the highest temperatures on record. We've had floods. We have had wildfires. And not just in, if you like, all the usual places, uh, but also a lot closer to home. So, what role does a built environment have to play in this? Real estate is the largest uh, global asset class at 228 trillion. In the UK, the built environment is responsible for 25% of total greenhouse gas emissions, 42% if you include construction and operation of infrastructure. We have a pathway for the built environment uh, launched by UKGBC at COP26. Sorry, having a little struggle with moving my slides on. There we go. Unfortunately, however, I was hoping to stand here today and talk to you about the magnificent progress we've made at COP26. We've mobilised the finance. Everybody's delivering. Off we go. But I can't credibly stand in front of you today and say that we are on track to keep one and a half degrees alive. In 2021, the global building sector's operational CO2 emissions reached an all-time high of around 10 gigatons of CO2, and that increase exceeds the 2020 level by 5%, and the pre-pandemic peak sorry, of 2019 by 2%. In UK, figures from the Committee on Climate Change show that, show that emissions from non-domestic buildings have flatlined and that we also have a major policy gap. So what progress, if any, has been made? Globally, 1.2 trillion assets under management are part of the race to zero. And in the UK, 
our own BVP climate commitment now has 36 signatories covering over 400 billion of AUM and 11,000 properties globally. All of the signatories have published their pathway covering scopes one, two, and three emissions. 94% are setting energy use intensity targets and 88% are purchasing at least some rego back to energy. And there are lots of other organisations, not just the BBP, who are putting their shoulders to the wheel on climate change commitments. From BPF to RACS to UKGBC to structural engineers to architects, etc., the climate emergency is high on their agenda. But has this led to an actual reduction in emissions? The story is a little bit more complicated here. So the good news is the built environment sector in the UK has reduced emissions by 30% over the last two decades. But the bad news is that it's mostly come from grid decarbonisation, not from improving the energy efficiency of our assets. And um, uh, in the UK, 80% of the buildings we have today will still be here in 2050, and we need to reduce that, that energy use in the non-domestic sector by almost 60% by 2050. Data from our UK real estate uh, environmental benchmark um, shows that there it is possible. So we have measured reductions of emissions by 65% and energy consumption by 38% across our BBP members over the last 10 years. But the same data shows that this is not nearly enough. Uh, according, using the UK GBC's targets that they have set, when we gathered data last year, we found around about 60% of offices fell short of the UK GBC targets from 2020 to 25, and 95% fell short of the targets we need to meet between 2035 and 2050. And globally, over 1 billion square metre of office space needs retrofitting by 2050. That's only five refurbishment cycles away. Um, and the BBP data showed that only 23% of offices had an A or B rating, leaving 77% exposed to the uh, EPCB target. The good news is that building net zero carbon buildings is possible, and I'm sure we're going to see some case studies later on today. But let's not sugarcoat it. Those are only a small proportion of the overall um, building stock that we need to convert. So to summarise, long-term commitments abound, the industry is making incremental improvements and we can see some examples. Keep on keeping on, you might think, but the reality is that this is not nearly enough to turn around the sector's carbon fortunes at the pace and the scale that we need to see. We need systemic change that enables us to translate the commitments into action, make increments into leaps, and leading practice into business as usual. So what needs to happen? We know that delivering net zero buildings is possible, and the business case is well documented. But this relies on the stars being aligned. You need a progressive owner and investor, a flow of sustainable finance, an engaged supply chain, a willing occupier. But we don't have all of those things for every single building in our commercial building stock. So instead of focusing on those small successes today, 
I'm going to quite, go quite hardcore with you and say, actually, there's a lot more that needs to change if we're going to upscale um, action on the, on, at the magnitude that we need. So what do we need? We need supportive government policy. We've got 53 countries representing 63% of global emissions who mention building energy, energy deficient sorry, energy efficiency and then nationally defined contributions, and 38 specifically call out building energy codes. But in the UK, the Committee on Climate Change, uh, the report in their 2022 report to government, they have concluded that there are key policy gaps that need to be filled. We are still awaiting a response on the Mies consultation in terms of how the EPCB target is going to be implemented and on the consultation on the introduction of a mandatory performance disclosure scheme for commercial buildings. We've got future homes and future buildings standard coming forward and Part Z being looked at in Parliament. These high-level commitments need to be backed up with detailed, robust policies that work for the commercial property sector. Next, we need net zero commitments backed up with action now. The, the UK Building Energy Efficiency Survey found that non-domestic buildings are using an average, on average between 20 to 40% more energy than necessary, with much of the associated savings being possible with measures that have a simple payback of less than five years. Many of the solutions are already at our disposal. They require a laser focus on energy performance in use and sustained effort through and thorough implementation. Every day, week, month and year loss now results in a much more challenging reduction target in the future. We need to understand the cost and the value of mitigation and adaptation. Only when it's possible to price in climate change risks and opportunities will investors have the confidence and markets transform. At COP26, there was a clear focus on the financial sector as a driver of change. And out of COP26, we saw a graft of uh, initiatives um, based on the finance sector, including the Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero. According to Refinitiv in 2021, sustainable bonds reach $1 trillion and sustainability linked loans surge 300% to more than $700 billion. We need to make sure that some of this investment and finance is directed towards commercial real estate. We need the financial frameworks and tools that work for commercial real estate to drive investment and lending that's aligned with net zero. With one of the biggest questions being how we direct some of that investment into existing buildings. Transition finance for the built environment is going to be absolutely critical. So whether it's TCFD, EU taxonomy, SFDR, CREM, um, we need to provide disclosures and information to the market so that it can act accordingly. And what do we need to do that? We need data and standards. So focusing on reducing energy demand and improving energy efficiency first is just common sense now in the age where the cost of security and energy present a material business risk. It is essential to have accurate, robust and verified data to ensure that there's visibility so we know how steep the mountain is that we have to climb, so that the markets can operate effectively and so that we can track progress and understand whether the interventions we're making are actually having an impact. Don't get me wrong. 
There's a lot of data out there, and I know that there are many in the audience who are probably responsible for gathering some of that data, but we are still dancing in the dark. Metering where it exists is quite often poorly configured and commissioned, which means that data is not accurate, quite often estimated or not available at all, and certainly not delineated efficiently to drive action in the right way. And with sometimes uh, property owners having 80% of their emissions in the scope three bucket, it's in everyone's interest to have transparency about how much energy is being used by whom, and only then can we direct action in the right way. To support that, we need standards with common definitions, metrics, and robust processes to ensure that we don't greenwash the sector's reputation. But data and standards don't work in isolation. They need people to work. And so the next big thing we need to see is skills. We need climate change literacy across all aspects of the property life cycle. The City of London's Skills for a Sustainable Skyline Task Force found that 87% of respondents thought there was a green skills gap in the commercial built environment, and 91% agreed that the sector lacks sufficient skilled workers to achieve those net zero targets. We need to invest heavily as an industry in improving climate change literacy from schools, universities, business schools, professional institutions to C-suite education. In commercial property, buildings flow through a transactional market. Addressing ESG would actually be a lot more simple if buildings had a single investor, owner and occupier throughout their lifetime, but they don't. So we've got to work really hard to embed ESG in all of the investment processes that underpin decision-making across the property life cycle. Radical collaboration was another key catchphrase of COP26. But what do we actually mean by radical collaboration? Sharing best practice in case studies? We're already doing that. That's already happening. Radical collaboration is going to mean challenging conventional relationships, developing new models of engagement, one where commercial relationships are set within the context of achieving ESG goals, and where sharing challenges is approached with the same openness and transparency as celebrating successes. This is an ESG summit, and you'll notice that I've barely mentioned the S and the G, and really only touched on one very important part of the E. That's not because the S and G are not important, far from it, but because of the urgency and the emphasis that we must place on reducing energy consumption and emissions. But the E, the S and the G are deeply connected. Nature-based solutions can be vital, a vital tool in tackling climate change. Circular economy principles can keep materials and their associated emissions in the loop. Uh, if only, also, we were to have the same coverage given to COP2015 on biodiversity as we were to COP27 on climate change. Who of the global leaders will be there, I ask? And the transition will not be possible if it marginalises stakeholders. Levelling up also means levelling out the impacts of climate change. Transparency and accountability are core to the G of ESG. And whilst the reporting burden weighs heavy, it is an essential component of good governance. So I'm really looking forward to the rest of today and hearing more about the S and the G. 
but with five minutes to go on my time clock ticking down, I have been briefed clearly by Sam that you need something to take away with you from this summit. We need actions, not words. The list I'm going to conclude with is based squarely at the industry. There are other lists for government, for industry bodies, for professional institutions, financiers. The list is fairly long. I'm going to short form it today. Um, but um, it's long deliberately. You know, there isn't a list of top three. It's a jigsaw, and we need all of the pieces to work together. So, first of all, I'm going to say be strategic. Don't wait for government. Legislation and regulation are there to set minimum standards, and we need to sit on the shoulder of government and make sure that we are pressing government for change. But it takes time to develop and implement regulation. And if you wait for that to happen, you will have lost any market advantage that there is in being ahead of the game. Of course, let's add our collective weight for calls for better policy, but in the meantime, let's demonstrate how businesses can lead. Commit to zero and set out a delivery plan. If you don't have a commitment to zero, and I'm hoping that most people in the audience do, make one and make it now. There's a huge amount of choice. There are lots of them out there, but please do it and do it now. But also, tell us not only where you're trying to get to by 2030, 2040, 2050, but how you're going to get that and what you are going to do this year, tomorrow, today, right now. And use the lens of climate change to connect the E, the S, and the G. Secondly, be tactical. tactical. Data is your friend. Um, put a price on carbon. It's one of the most effective ways to integrate uh, energy efficiency and reduction and climate change mitigation into investment decision-making. By, by putting in your future-proofing your assets, understanding um, your regulatory risks and driving the right investment decision-making. Current costs of price of carbon go up and down. You can set your own depending on what your ambition is. I can't talk about the next one um, more than um, I can't. I, this literally, if you take one thing away, this is it. Meter your buildings. I know it's not really groundbreaking or aspirational. It's just doing it well. We need to meter our buildings and we need to understand our footprints. We need to do it well. For offices, use Neighbours UK. It's out there. It's a scheme that you can use. It's robust to provide verified data and share data with that occupiers. Um, as we've heard, scope three emissions are critically important. So that engagement with occupiers starts with a conversation about, okay, how is the building performing? Embed net zero across the entire life cycle process. Uh, embed your ESG targets and actions in every single aspect of your business, every single decision you make, every transaction, every disposal, every contract, fund strategies, investment appraisals, asset management plans, due diligence, property management contracts, the list goes on. If there isn't reference to climate change targets in those, there should be. Plan for refurbishment and so on that takes out fossil fuels and puts renewables in. Make these targets realistic and actionable, build them into asset management strategies and maintain them through PPM programs. Make every new lease a green lease. Every contract a net zero contract. And upskill everyone. Make them accountable. 
make climate change literacy part of every single, every single person's objective within your organisation, require them to have those responsibilities written in, align their remuneration with the, achieving those targets. Making everyone accountable really focuses the mind. Set commercial relationships within the context of net zero. So align your objectives with investors, with occupiers, with the supply chain around net zero targets. And look outside the confines of the building for collaborators. So we often think about buildings in a silo, but climate change goes beyond the physical boundaries of the building and so does solving it. Uh, buildings need to be engaged with their local communities, physical and social. But we also need to engage with local government, with authorities, with infrastructure uh, developers and so on. We need to take that engagement out of the silo of just thinking in the building to find those solutions. And then work with the industry. So one of the really important things that's happening in the industry at the moment, and an example of really fantastic radical collaboration, is the development of the net zero carbon building standard. So if you're not, please support that, and please provide the data and the evidence that that standard needs to build a credible um, uh, standard for verifying net zero uh, carbon. I'm nearly up on my time now, um, but the final thing that I wanted to say is that I recognise there's probably quite a few of you in the organisation who can tick some of those boxes, but you can probably only tick it, those boxes for some assets, some funds. When you leave here, I want you to take away this list and try and fill in every single tick box for every single asset, every single portfolio. So that's what we need to see to upscale the change. The business case is well-versed. I'm not going to go into that. Um, and achieving net zero is absolutely consistent with um, economic growth. And if this is not persuasive enough, I ask you what this might hold for the future of real estate. We must make absolutely every effort to keep within the limit of one and a half degrees. As Nigel Topping said at the end of COP27, this is a limit, it is not a target. Every single action counts, but we do also have to start contemplating the alternative. The IPCC's report said that it's almost inevitable that humanity will briefly surpass the critical temperature threshold of one and a half degrees, and that current policies are taking us to a 2.8 degrees rise in global temperature by 2100. That's only 78 years to go, and the chances are that probably I'll be pushing up a few days by then, but it's certainly within the time span of my children. I'm a glass half full kind of person, a pragmatic optimist. We've got the solutions at our hands, but the real estate won't be able to achieve this alone. So we need to start planning for those alternative scenarios. The race to resilience is on. One of the most significant outcomes from COP27 was global agreement on loss and damage, a recognition that actions taken in the past have led to damage and that those responsible must be held to account by providing the appropriate funding to repair that damage. So today, I'm going to leave you with two questions. First of all, what do you think loss and damage looks like for the real estate sector? And secondly, 
You've heard me talk about the big picture you've set today. You know what the business case is. We've given a practical list of things for you today. So my question, my final question is, what are you waiting for? <laughs>